Welcome to Practical Christian Living. God says those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against you. As a child of God, when there's evil in our lives, God's face is set against us. Our, our prayers are hindered. We, we end up not having the good days that God wants to have. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that have we forgotten the scripture which says that whom God loves, he chastens? God is loving and merciful and forgiving. But when we choose to disobey his commands, he will discipline us because he loves us. We belong to him. He's our heavenly dad. Disobedience not only brings consequences, but it can keep us from the good things that our heavenly father has for us. And it can hinder our relationship and our prayers to God. Here's part two of our teaching out of 1 Peter 3, 8 through 12. Stay with us. Here comes Robert Furrow. We want to watch that we don't become too legalistic. We draw a lot of lines and we take our freedom away and we become really legalistic. We want to be careful about that. We have freedom, but we don't want to let our liberty, the Bible says, be an occasion for the flesh. We want to be able to let our liberty, the freedom that we have, edify the people around us and draw us closer to Christ. And then verse 3, and I love verse 3 because basically verse 3 says, if you eat only vegetables, leave the other people alone. And if you eat meat and don't eat, then leave the guy that eats vegetables alone. That's what it says. Look at it. It says, let not him who eats despise him who does not eat. The guy who eats only vegetables looks at the guy who doesn't eat, you know, eats other things and despises them or vice versa. And let not him who does not eat judge him who eats for God has received them. Hey, God receives them. Doesn't matter if they're sticking to your so-called spiritual diet or not. God has received them. He goes on along this same vein in verse four. He says, who are you to judge another servant? Who, who are we to tell God's servants how they're supposed to live? To his own master, he stands or falls. Indeed, he will be made to stand for God is able to make him stand. In other words, you know what? God's big enough to tell him he's wrong. We don't have to argue with people and persuade people to believe what we believe. Sometimes I think that we like to argue, and I think I can look back to my arguing days, that I like to argue because I was a little bit not, I was a little bit unsure of what I believed. And if I could persuade you into believing what I believed, then I had a little bit more confidence. So I kind of like to argue for those reasons. But God's able to bring the truth in. God's able to convince us of what's right and what's wrong. We're going to stand before God. God's big enough to do that. He says in verse 5, one person esteems one day above another. This is another thing they fought about in the early church. Another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Jesus visited the disciples when they were all locked together, hiding on the day he rose from the dead, or, or a week after he rose from the dead on Sunday. Then the next Sunday, he showed up again while Thomas was there. And so it just became the thing for the church to do to meet on Sunday morning. But under the law, you met on the Sabbath. You actually met on Friday night. You didn't really meet on Saturday. The Sabbath day was a day to be holy. You took the Sabbath meal on Friday night and you might go to the synagogue on Saturday if it wasn't too far away. You could only walk basically a quarter mile. So if your home was a quarter mile from the synagogue, you definitely didn't go. And you might even buy your home in relation to where the synagogue was if you wanted to be able to go to the synagogue. But it wasn't about going to church. They made it an argument, just like today. 
just like Seventh-day Adventists will make it an argument or Seventh-day Baptists or whatever the group is will make it an argument. And in essence, he says, if you want to worship on Saturday, then more power to you. You want to have church on Saturday? You want to go out and start a church on Saturday and have people come and worship on Saturday? Then do it. But don't judge those who go to church on Sunday or who esteem every day alike. And for those of you who go to church on Sunday or esteem every day alike, to us, every day is the same. We're supposed to serve Jesus every day. We don't just have Sunday that is our Sabbath, but we have every day we're supposed to live for him. So he says in verse five, one person esteems one day above another, another esteems every day alike. Let each be fully convinced in his own mind. Look, rather than arguing about it, just be convinced in your own mind and then live your convictions. He who observes the day, he observes it to the Lord. But he who does not observe the day to the Lord, he does not observe it. He who eats, eats to the Lord, and he gives thanks. And he who does not eat to the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks. No one lives to himself, and no one dies to himself. So there's a, a, a good encouragement for us to just live our convictions. If we think that God's speaking to us about a certain way that we're supposed to live and a certain law, then just live it. Just do it. I tell you what, if it's helping you out and you're growing and you're maturing, you'll have opportunities to be able to share those things. But let people make those decisions. Let each one be fully convinced in their own mind. So he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. The Bible says that when Jesus saw the crowds, that he had compassion on them because he saw that they were sheep without shepherds. Charles Swindoll said, if you preach to the brokenhearted, you will never lack for an audience. And I found that to be true in the ministry that God's given me, that there are always those who are hurting. There are always those that are struggling. Have compassion on one another. You know, when there's nothing going on in our lives, we, we have such a tendency to project our, what's going on in our lives on other people. And we'll think, why are they so upset or what's going on with them or why are they so angry? Have compassion on one another. By doing so, we become very much like Christ. Love the brethren, or love as brethren. The word there is connected to the word phileo, which is the word that means fondness. Love the brethren. This is an agape. At other places, it says that we are to agape one another and that they'll know that we are disciples by the agape that we have for one another. That's unconditional love. But this is a fondness. Let there be a fondness for the brethren and the sisterin that we would be excited to see one another. One of my pet peeves is when there's a concert at a different church, and I hope it's not like this at our church. It might be to some degree, but when there's a concert at another church and I go to the concert and I walk down the hallway and there's other Christians walking around and they're just ignoring each other as if they don't exist. I love when eye contact is made and there's an excitement to see one another. I like when I develop a relationship with someone, maybe it's just meeting them one or two times but seeing them again and saying, ah, your name is. And, and I love that interaction. And I dislike it when Christians just kind of look at each other and walk away. I think this isn't how it should be. A fondness, a love for the brethren. Be tenderhearted. I think of Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another. Tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Being tenderhearted and be courteous. Just be just be courteous to each other. And then in verse 9, he says, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling. Now, he goes from the way that we are to interact with one another to the way that people are treating us that are out in the world. And you and I 
live in a unique time, unlike them, that we have every day an opportunity to actually live this. And that's when we're driving our car. Because sooner or later, verse 9, the beginning there, is going to become true for us. Not returning evil for evil. Sooner or later, someone is going to do something evil to you in the car. And you are not to return evil for evil. And boy, don't you just want to? When someone pulls out and cuts you off, don't you just want to run around them and cut them off as well? I want to do that even though on the back of my car I've got Revelation 22.7. I've got a scripture on the back of my car. I want to go and cut them off. Hope they don't recognize me. <laughs> my black charger with the scripture on it. Not return or reviling for reviling when someone's cursing at you that you can just kind of kind of let it go. And I think there's something in us too when we're driving that it's just so easy to do that. I was um, in that car the other morning. I was on my way to the staff meeting. I was late, and I kind of get on the staff if they're late. So I really didn't want to be late. And uh, the car in front of me was a white Mustang, and it was talking to somebody in the car next to them. The turning left lane, and the light turned green, and I waited for I don't know three seconds. It was a long time. <laughs> And I, uh, I gave my horn a tap, just like, bah, bah. it wasn't rude. It wasn't a beep, get out of the way, you jerk. It wasn't that. It was simply, hey, light's green. That's right. Beep, beep, light's green. Let's go. Come on. That's what it was. And uh, guy looked in his rearview mirror at me, stared me down. So I kind of did one of these, like trying to be just as nice as I could, like, I just want to go to work, buddy. That's what I was saying. Just, I just want to go. So he revved up his Mustang and he peeled out and took off. And, and all I could do when we got stuck at the next light together to not go, bully for you, your white Mustang, you know? <laughs> I was like, I don't want to race you. But I got to tell you, there's something inside of me that wanted to put my foot down. There's something inside of me that wanted to say, I think I can take that Mustang. I think I can get in front of him before the next light. But I didn't. I promise. It's a good opportunity for us to really practice it. But there's a place, and that's where we work and where we live and, and where we interact with people, that these things can be true as well. Because people don't always treat us the way they're supposed to. People in the world don't. When I was in my early 20s, I had uh, sold a shop. I had, I had a shop that I had for a few years, and I sold it. And uh, it's really funny because he had offered me like $35,000 for the shop. He was retiring. He wanted the shop. I went and I told Lisa. And she was like, you're taking advantage of him. It's not worth that. I went back to the guy the next day and told him, you know what? I'll take 15. I took 15,000 instead of 35,000 from him. To this day, I'm like, why didn't I take 35,000 from him? <laughs> it was worth it. She didn't understand how much a business made and how much it was worth. But anyway, we were fine because God took care of us. But I needed to get a job after I'd sold my shop. So I'd gone into a place that did vinyl tops and radios and cruise controls and pinstriping and side molding. And I told him, listen, an upholstery shop would work really well in your business. You have the space here for it. I'd love to start it for you. You start it. You do the advertisement. I'll do it. I'll train guys for you. And then in a couple of years, I'll move on. And he said, well, I'm going to be putting out a lot of money. I'm going to be investing in machines and advertisement and getting this whole department set up. How do I know that you're not going to leave before you have people really ready to take it over? So I told him, all right, I'll stay for a year and a half. You know, you should never really promise something before you pray about it. Because when I talked to this guy, he was super nice. It was a well-known shop in the town, but he was a psycho boss. He'd run around screaming with his hands in the air, 
I wasn't used to people screaming at me, but it wasn't a good environment. The very first day, the first thing that I had to do was learn everything that they did. I needed to learn how to put cruise controls and radios and cars and pinstriping and side molding and vinyl tops and those things. So the first day I'm working on one car and a couple guys are working on another car and they tell a dirty joke to each other. And so I tell them, you know what, guys, I really don't want to hear your dirty jokes, all right? I was kind of used to running my own shop. <laughs> you know what, guys, I don't, want, I don't want to hear your dirty jokes, all right? I'm a Christian. Well, that was all they needed, man. Any of you guys work in an auto shop? They told their dirty jokes to me. They made my life miserable for the next... I, I, I stayed for a year and a half. I wanted to leave because the guy was a psycho. But I stayed for the time that I was there. But they made my life miserable. They would take my tools. I'd be under a car. They would quietly take my tools and hide them on a bench somewhere. And I had a psycho boss that would get upset if you didn't get the car done in time. One guy, he was the littlest guy there. I could have taken this guy with one hand tied behind my back. <laughs> he would walk by me. He saw, there was, the, the, there was one guy there who was really the ringleader of all this. And he was a big guy. He's big, 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 big guy. And he walked by me one day and he, he thumped me with his arm like I was in, like in, in high school. I remember my early 20s. I, wanted, I, was, I had a wrench in my hand. I wanted to crack him in the head. Take this, big guy. <laughs> Whack. So the little guy started doing it. And the first time he did, I looked at him like, I'm just going to whack you, buddy. So I, but before I left there, they all knew that I was a youth pastor. They all knew that I was a Christian. And before I left there, which is a year and a half, I was able to share Christ with every single one of them. And even the, the big guy that I told you about that I wanted to crack with a wrench, in the very end, he came in. He was, the most, he was an extremely vile guy too, by the way. But um, in the end, his wife was divorcing him. And he came into the area that I had developed as a shop. I didn't work in the shop anymore at that point. And he came in and said, my wife's divorcing me and broke down and cried. And I was able to share Christ with him. That's how we're supposed to live in the world. It's not just so that we can, you know, have self-control and the fruits of the Spirit. It's so that Christ can be glorified when someone does evil to us and we don't respond with evil. It's so that we have that opportunity to show people who we are in Him and live the way we're supposed to live. It says, but on the contrary, blessings. Don't return evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless them. Look to bless them. James said, bless those who are evil towards you, but for by doing so, you heap coals upon their head, coals of fire upon their head. I don't know exactly what James meant by that, but we're to bless those who, who curse us, knowing that you were called to this. You were called to this. This is how God's going to use you, that you may inherit blessings. God wants to bless you. I, I believe that God wants to bless you. I believe that God wants you to enjoy your life. Look at the next verse. And he quotes Psalms 34 here. For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil. He quotes Psalms 34. He who would, would love life. You want to love life? I want, I want to love life. I don't want to hate life. I don't want to live for the love of life. I want to live for the love of God, but I want to love life. I want the blessings of God in my life. And I want to see good days. I don't want to see bad days. I want to see good days. I'll serve God even in the middle of bad days, but I want to see good days. And so he gives us the, the way to do that. Let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. It's all about what you say. What does this remind us of James? 
James says there's a world of evil in our tongue, a whole universe of evil. We can set the world on fire with our tongue. If we can just keep deceit from our lips and evil from our lips, then we'll have that. In other words, we're going to gain favor with God. It's not that we, don't gain, that we gain favor by God with our works, but when we keep our deceit from us and we aren't speaking evil, God gives us even more favor. It's like our children when they do good. Our children, when we do bad, we, we still take care of them. But when we do good, we want to bless them. We want to go out of our way to really bless them when we see our children doing really well. That's what God does with us. He already loves us. He's already blessing us. But when he sees us doing what we're supposed to do, he wants to bless us even more. He's like, oh man, I just want to give you good days. And I want that. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. If anybody's going to be a peacemaker, it should be us. Seek peace. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayers. And now we see the connection with what he said to the guys, right? That if you're not treating your wife, the weaker vessel with honor, that your prayers are being hindered. Now he says his ears are open to our prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. The face of the Lord's against those who do evil. When I was a kid, there was no doubt that my mom loved me. And I knew that my mom would do almost anything for me. But she also had a certain look that from across the room, I knew I better cut it out. Because <laughs> if I don't, I'm going to be in a lot of trouble. That's the face of my mom was against me. It wasn't that she didn't love me. It was that I was acting up. And God says, those who do evil, the face of the Lord is against you. As a child of God, when there's evil in our lives, God's face is set against us. Our prayers are hindered. We end up not having the good days that God wants to have. The Bible says in the book of Hebrews that have we forgotten the scripture which says that whom God loves, he chastens and that the chastening of God is grievous, but it brings about the peaceable fruit of righteousness. You know the way to get rid of chastening? Do right. That's how you tell your kids, you know, I'm sick of being punished. Well, then cut it out. You won't be punished anymore. And so it is with us. What a great passage for us to be encouraged to love one another and to live in front of the world so that they see Christ because that's really what it's about. When it's all said and done, that's what matters. And when people mistreat you, it's an opportunity for you to be able to shine for Jesus and really show them that you, you are truly different. Stand with me, would you? And let's pray together. Father, we do thank you for your word and the encouragement that we find here in the way that we are supposed to live. We pray that your Holy Spirit would help us to live our lives doing these things. They are easy to say and hard to do. It's easy to talk about letting someone go on the road. It's hard to do it. But I pray that we would. For your sake, for your glory, for the souls of men and women who don't know you. And Lord, may we really and truly be fond of one another. May there be brotherly love among us. Truly excited to see each other and to be there for each other. Thank you for this family. Thank you for this home. Thank you for the people that you bring here on a regular basis. And uh, Lord, may we really love each other. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like you to keep your heads bowed, please, and your eyes closed for just a few minutes. I'm also going to ask that no one would leave early. We're almost done. We'll dismiss you here shortly. If you already know the Lord, would you pray today for those that are here that don't know the Lord? 
If you're here and you've never invited him in, maybe you've gone to church, maybe you haven't. Maybe you find yourself here today and you're not even really sure why you're here. Or maybe you've thought, you know what? I, I need to become a Christian. I want to start living for God. So you started to come to church. And it's good that you're here. It's not bad. I'm glad you're here. But going to church can't save you. You can go to church your whole life and still not know the Lord. The Bible says in John chapter 1, verse 12, as many as receive him, he gives the power to become a child of God to those who believe in his name. That means you have to have a very personal moment with Jesus. Jesus said that if you receive me, you receive the Father. And Jesus said in another place, no one comes to the Son unless the Father draws him. So Jesus and the Father are working together. And if today you say, well, I don't want to receive him, then I don't want to live for him. He's not going to make you. You don't have to become a Christian today. He's not going to force you to be a believer. But if today you hear his voice, the Bible says, don't harden your heart. If you hear him drawing you and calling you, that you would surrender to him, then today could be your day of glory. This could be the day that God has chosen since before the foundations of the world to call you into the kingdom and to establish and to give you a reason to live. The purpose that God has for you, that you would be his representative in the midst of a dark and perishing world. And if you're here today and you want your sins forgiven, you want to begin to walk with them, then I'm going to ask you to do something simple. Right where you are, just lift your hand up. Lift your hand up now, lift it up high so I can see it. I want to take time to acknowledge your hand. God bless you, ma'am, by the back window. That's great. God bless you, ma'am, here in the front. And sir, right on the aisle. That's great. God bless you, sir. God bless you. Ma'am, that's great. Anyone else? I'm not going to go on and on, but I do want to give you another opportunity if the Lord's calling and tugging upon your heart that's why the Bible says today if you hear God's voice don't harden your heart because how do you know you're going to hear his voice tomorrow if today God's saying come to me I want to love you I want to forgive you and I want to use you for what you were made for so I'll look over the room one more time God bless you young man there that's great God bless you sir off to my right all right you can put your hands down I'd like to do two things tonight First of all, I would like to pray for those of you that raised your hands, and then I would like you to pray with me. So let me pray for you first of all. Father, I want to pray for those that lifted their hands up to you tonight. And I realize it represents a lot of different people in a lot of different situations. Some of them coming to you for the first time and some of them coming back to you. But you know what's going on in each one of their lives. You know why they raise their hands and what they're, what they're doing when they're coming to you. We pray that you would establish them in you. We pray that you would do a work in their lives and let them know how much you really love them and you've got a plan and a purpose for them. We thank you for this. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. I'd like everybody, including those who raised their hands, to repeat this prayer after me. Dear Heavenly Father, I realize my sin has separated me from you. But I also understand that I can be forgiven by the work of Jesus on the cross. So I invite you into my life and I turn from my sin that I can live for you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Welcome to the family of God. Amen.
Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living with Robert Furrow. We hope that our verse-by-verse studies truly help you to see that God is real. He wants a personal relationship with you, and His Word is life-changing. If you'd like to hear more of Robert Furrow's teachings, visit calvarytucson.com. For our local listeners, we invite you to join us at one of our two campuses. Our East Campus at Speedway and Camino Seco meets Saturdays at 6 p.m. and Sundays at 9.45 a.m. Our West Campus, south of Palo Verde and I-10, meets Sunday mornings at 8.30 and 11 a.m. Our midweek service times are Wednesday evening at 6 p.m. at our East Campus and 7.15 p.m. at our West Campus. If you prefer, you can watch our service at live.calvarytucson.com and also on our Facebook page and YouTube channel. Our online campus is available during East Campus service times. If Practical Christian Living has blessed you and you'd like to donate, please visit pclaz.org. That's pclaz.org where you can make a secure one-time donation or sign on to become a monthly partner on a reoccurring basis. Have you accepted Jesus into your life or do you have questions about salvation? We'd love to hear from you. Email us at saved at calvarytucson.com and don't forget to follow us on social media, Instagram at Calvary Tucson or Facebook at Calvary Chapel Tucson. We want to remind our local listeners that you can watch Practical Christian Living TV Sunday mornings at 8.30 a.m. on KGUN 9. Thank you for joining us for Practical Christian Living.